<clears throat> Praise the Lord. Um, I want to I open our Bibles to the book of Romans in the 12th chapter. Um, very familiar passage of Scripture, but probably a, a little different take. I've been <clears throat> continuing, as often happens with me, and I think I get it from my dad. The Lord kind of works in my heart in a series of thought, not so that I can preach a series, but in the sense that he takes me from one thing and that builds upon another. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that um, we don't just have excerpts of the scripture where we pull out and talk about a whale and a giant and, um, you know, and a flood, and, but that God is building our, our knowledge of him. Amen. Amen. Uh, how many of you are grateful for that? Well, that's why you're here. You're not here because we preach fancy messages. You're not here because we have a, the best musicians or the best singers. And we're not here just because we love each other, but we're here because we desire to grow in the Lord. I was telling Charlie and Clarissa before church, and um, this, I appreciate the ministry of my father through the years and the willingness to, to step out and say, yeah, listen, you know, Jesus isn't born on the 25th of December, and um, he wasn't born in some slop in the manger. He was born in the manger, the tower of the flock. And I appreciate that, but I, I appreciate that we've got a body who are willing and hungry to hear the truth in the word of God and not to hang on to our traditions. I think that we, we appreciate the message, but we appreciate that, that there is a hunger for that. Amen. I think that's why we so enjoy being around each other and spending time together because there truly is. I, I don't hardly ever sit down and talk with any of you that we don't end up talking about the Lord. We might start out talking about guns, which I like, and uh, talking about cowboy stuff. I like that too. Um, but we always end up talking about the Lord because that is the center of everything that we are. Amen? So I want to read this verse that's very familiar, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'm going to attempt tonight... And I say attempt because I don't esteem myself to hold all truth, nor do I value myself as an excellent orator. But I'm going to attempt to deliver something to you that hopefully you can receive and let your faith grow on that. And that is some clarity on the issue of how our personal conduct relates to our relationship with Christ. Now, I feel like that the things that God has been having me minister in in the last month or so are the foundation, the substructure for what I'm going to say tonight. So I think pretty much everybody has been involved in that and listened over the last few times that I've spoken. And what dad has been preaching is obviously also really lines up with what, with what um, my base that I'm building off of is. But there are, in my opinion, there are two basic perspectives concerning the matter of our personal conduct and how it relates to Christ. There's, there's just two, uh, we could obviously probably expand this and there's a lot of hybrids and in-betweens, but two basic perspectives that 
tend to be held. I mean, I would say the vast majority land in one of these two camps. The first is that God has no concern with how you live because his grace covers you. How many have heard that, that message preached often? Uh, we would hear this a lot in a Baptist setting. We would hear this a lot in a hyper-charismatic setting. Um, this, what we would call hyper-grace. The second camp that you will find um, is that if you want to have right relationship with God, then you will do these physical things. How many have heard that message? That would be that holiness side of the spectrum. So you have the liberal side of the spectrum, which says it really doesn't matter how you live. God's grace covers you. You have the holiness side of the perspective, which says as a result of how I'm living, God is interacting with me. I'll tell you what I don't want to do. I do not want to cherry pick from each of these sides and find the common ground. I want to drop a bomb and blow up the whole thing. Let's just get rid of it. Let's get rid of the idea that God cares nothing about what you do. Let's get rid of the idea that what we do matters with God. Let's just demolish all of that and let's not start with that premise. I think what is difficult for us sometimes, and um, you know, for, for dad, for myself, sometimes you have to deconstruct in order to construct. We've got so much theological junk that we've been, if you've been raised in church any, any time, and uh, some of you have, you got a lot of theological garbage that you're weeding through. Anybody besides me have that? Things that you've thought for a long time, things that you absolutely 10 years ago would have said are for sure fact. And now you're realizing, wow, I was, I really was kind of building on something that wasn't that stable. That's been happening in my life. We see more clearly I do every day that is literally 100% about Christ. The focus, the, the incentive, the goal, the prize, the glory, uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever direction we want to perceive this from, it literally is all about Jesus. So I don't want to try to pick from the idea of hyper grace and from the idea of personal holiness and try to m- meld it and morph into the middle. I don't believe God is a God of middles. I heard somebody say this week, that Jesus would be far too conservative for most liberals and far too liberal for most conservatives. And that Jesus would land somewhere in the middle. And to that, I would say, I absolutely do not agree. I believe that Jesus does not care what we think. It doesn't matter how we feel about this. And so, in that sense, I don't want to try to pick up parts and pieces here. I just want to look at it from a fresh and clean slate. Just wipe the chalkboard, all those notes that you've kept all those years in your mind, just get rid of them. And then let's look at what the Lord says. Um, So question um, that arises, initially in my thoughts, and I just share with you what the Lord deals with me in, the question arises in, in my mind this, is your life in Christ Something that begins by your fleshly action, initiated by you, is it secured by you? I think that's a question we have to answer. And the answer, again, oftentimes we are afraid to answer these types of questions for what that could mean down the road. So we're afraid to answer this because if we say that it's not initiated by me, 
then that means that God is pre-selecting people to heaven and hell. Again, let's just get rid of all of that junk and let's answer this question. Is my life in Christ initiated by me or by the grace of God? It is clearly not initiated by me. My my new birth, my, my reborn condition is initiated by the grace of God toward me. Amen? Amen? And all of you, the same thing. It is solely and totally dependent upon the grace of God and is accessible only through our faith in Him. Now again, if we start adding I don't want you to add anything on to this. Keep all the stuff out of the way. We're going to stay out of the weeds here and try to drive it right down the fairway so we can find the ball. We hit it and then we go right up and find it. I don't, we get off in the weeds, it's hard to find. So let's not add in stuff here. It's initiated by Christ. I love what pastor preached today. He, he has said a few things that I, I've been listening to my dad preach for 26 years. And um, in the last couple of months, I've heard him say some things that have sparked thought in me that I've never heard him say before. And I think the Lord is just revealing some stuff in our lives. But second point is our righteousness with God is not based, and listen, this is really important, it's not based upon our moral superiority or our perfect personal conduct. God judges us righteous based upon our obedience. We want to take and put cart before horse. That is the nature of man. We want to take the things that God would tell us to do, do them and believe that makes them makes us right with God. But we can't do the thing without being told. Does that make sense? It's about obeying. So remember a few weeks ago, I, I read in Jeremiah, and, and I've brought this up a few times, but I believe it, it's, it's helping me to understand some things, where God tells Israel, I did not command you concerning sacrifice. But we know that God gave sacrifice. We know that he had told them to sacrifice. We look all through the Levitical law. So what is his point? His point, he says, I did not command you concerning sacrifice when you came out of Egypt. I commanded you concerning obedience. And obedience is better than sacrifice. And to hearken, to listen, is better than the fat of rams. Our righteousness with God is not based upon our personal conduct. Our right standing with God is based upon him judging me righteous. And what does he look at to determine whether I'm righteous? My moral superiority? My perfect personal conduct? Because none of us can stand before God with that claim. But what he judges us on is our obedience to him. It's not that we were perfect. It's that we obeyed. It's not that we obeyed everything exactly perfect because sometimes God says do it and we don't even know how to do it. Anybody else find that to be true? 
I felt the Lord put in my heart to move to Oklahoma. I don't know what that means. I don't know what job I'm supposed to get or whether I'm supposed to keep building, whether I'm supposed to buy a specific house. I don't know any of those things. So I'm walking in what I believe God is telling me to do. And I believe that God is judging me not on my perfect execution, but on my willing obedience. Everybody understand what I'm saying? We're not exonerating poor conduct or bad behavior. Don't, again, don't get in the weeds here. So I, w- I want to look at this. The apostle makes something very clear in Romans chapter 4. Concerning this issue, he uses Abraham as the example concerning how a man should be made right with God. We're not going to cherry pick scriptures out of this. I want to grab eight, nine verses here. Verse 2, chapter 4, down to verse 10. Now listen very clearly. This is not my words But this is the words of the apostle given to us so that we can understand how our righteousness with God is attained. Everybody following? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David has des- uh, also describeth and the blessedness of the man to whom God imputeth righteousness without works saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision. Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Everybody follow what was said there? I think there's some really important things that Paul is saying. He understands something that I believe is lost today in so many places. If our righteousness is based upon something we do, or something we say, or something we wear, then God is a debtor to man. It's what he says here. If our righteousness is based upon our works and it's a reward of our works, then God becomes a debtor to man. God owes man something. Anybody here feel like God owes you something? (laughs) I don't think God owes me anything. We're gonna talk about how this looks on the other side. Yes, there is personal conduct. But the result of our being made right with God is not us coming and bringing our conduct with us so that we can prove ourselves right with him. Our righteousness is determined by our willing obedience to his command. And there is a huge difference. He gives Abraham as a prototype of faith which pleases God. Paul's question to those who believe that they are made right 
by how they perform, um, by, by what they're doing, how they perform this is the question then. He asked this, was Abraham righteous because he was circumcised? The problem is, before Abraham was circumcised, God looked at him and said, Abraham is right with me. Well, he must have been a man of really exemplary character. He must have been just like Job. Now, Job was an upright man. The devil went searching for, for, uh, to and fro on the earth, and God says, hey, have you considered Job? Job's an upright man. This is not necessarily the testimony of Abraham. Abraham comes out of the Ur of the Chaldees. His father is an idol maker. Terah is an idol maker. And from what we can see, we don't know where Abraham's heart is. There's, there's argument over whether he helps build the idols or whether he's been a part of that or whether he's kind of set apart from it. But he's not from a people who are upright. There is no, there is no idea that he has done things that have made him right with God But what we do see is that God spoke to him. He said, get you up out of the land of the idols and I want you to come into a land that I'm gonna prepare for you. And Abraham picks up his family and gets out of Dodge. And because he did that, he was right with God. Not because he had everything figured out. And I say that because we feel like that the only way that we can get right with God is to get everything figured out. We've got to understand the right formulas. We've got to get in the right church. Now, y'all are in the right church. Now, we've got to get in the right church. We've got to get with the right people. We've got to have the right pastors. We've got to get to the right revivals. Man, we've got to get everything in order. I've got to understand whether God is three or whether God is one. And I've got to understand all of the nuance of everything. And that's the only way I can be right with God. I want to present to you something completely different. The only way that you can be right with God is to obey him. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what, how, how great your personal conduct is. It doesn't matter if all you ever wore was a, was a monk's robe and lived in a monastery. You're not getting right with God based upon that. Your righteousness with God is accounted to you based upon your willing obedience to what he says. Now, yes, what he says is going to result in how we live. Yes, when he says don't, we should not. When he says do, we better do it. But we go out out of bounds because we try to do those things separate from God. Because we got a lot of people living by things God did not say, and they're trying to get right with God by living those ways. The mix, the mix that I think we maybe many of us, and I'm going to say all, but maybe many of us have found ourselves in. Something that's been bothering me lately, I've talked to dad many times about this, and, and it agitates me because there are many similar to how I grew up, who are in the holiness movement, whether Trinitarian or apostolic or whatever else, who want to go into the Old Testament and pull out of the Old Testament a verse that says a a woman should not dress like a man and a man should not dress like a woman. Amen. We fully embrace that. But they want to go and pull out that message and get up and preach that message about how a woman should not dress like a man while they're wearing their polyester suit and leave church and go have a bacon cheeseburger. Which are both forbidden by the same law that they're preaching from. 
This is the problem when we start presenting parts and pieces and do not listen to the voice of God. Yes, women should not be dykish. Men should not be effeminate. But these things are clearly stated also in the new covenant, which is the covenant you and I live in anyway. And the problem is, is that we go back and we try to find God by doing things that have been said, but we're not listening to what he's saying now. This is exactly what the problem with the Jews was. They're trying to obey a law that was given to them, but the lawgiver is standing with them and they are disobeying him. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? So this is why it is about our closeness, our ability to hear his voice that is drawing us into right relationship with him. It is not about a list of rules. It's not about a formula. It's not about doctrine. Doctrine is important. We want to teach what is right. I so appreciate the labor that has gone on in so many years to try to establish what is right. But we can be doctrinally right and split hell wide open if we do not know the voice of our Lord. It is all summed up in 100% following Jesus. So was Abraham righteous because he was circumcised? No, because he believed God and responded to his voice. Obedience is the sole factor determining that Abraham is righteous. Paul goes on to say in the 11th verse that the circumcision was a seal It was a covenant made between him and God as a result of him being made right with God that he would become different because God instructed him and he obeyed him. That was why he was circumcised. But circumcision didn't produce the righteousness. Everybody following me? So when we get caught up on all we can do, we lose sight of the one who's trying to speak to us. And maybe we find ourselves doing a lot of things that God had said to do before that God's not saying to do now. Maybe that's where a lot of people find themselves. I have a question. Can that which has begun in the spirit be perfected in the flesh? The scripture in... Romans 8 says that it is impossible to please God in the flesh. So can that which has begun as a spiritual work by God, initiated by God in our spirit man, can that be perfected, completed, worked out by our flesh? No, it's not possible. The apostle asked this same question to the Galatians church. Look at the book of Galatians quickly and the third chapter. I want to give you time to get there because I don't want you to think that I'm leading you down some false road. Galatians chapter three, verse one. Again, I want to grab a section of scripture here. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? That you should not obey the truth. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law 
or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. There's old father Abe again, introduced into the thought process. The same story we just talked about, Paul said it's not just good for the Roman church. It's good for the Galatian church. It's also good for the Ephesian church. And it's good for Echoes of Calvary in Claremore, Oklahoma. Same message. We have to pick up on two important things. Verse 2. This stood out to me, and I've read this, I don't know how many times, but it stood out to me differently this time. He says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the flesh, the works of the law, was you receiving the Spirit of God the result of something you did, or was it the result of hearing by faith? Now this stands in complete opposition to everything I knew growing up. I said this a couple of weeks ago. My understanding, now maybe it was incorrect, but when I was a young man before my dad started pastoring, and I'm, I'm at the altars, and I'm listening to preachers, I'm 10, 11, 12 years old, and they're talking about how I need to receive the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever have that experience? You know, some of you grew up in... in you know, Pentecostal churches, your Baptist circles, you wouldn't understand this, but that somehow if I could get right, the result of me being right would be the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Anybody else been told that? This is exactly the opposite of what Paul just said. Paul asked this exact question. Did you receive the spirit of God by the works that you were doing in your flesh or was it because you heard the message of faith? So here's where I am at now. I believe this. The scripture says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And couple that with the scripture that says, but God has given to every man, woman, child a measure of faith. You have everything you need in you to please God. Everything. But it's not in your flesh. It's impossible to please God in your flesh. It doesn't matter what clothes you put on. You can't please God in your flesh. You can be the most righteous Dalai Lama on the planet and you cannot please God in the flesh. But he has given us a measure of faith. And with that faith, it is possible to please him. How do we please him? By placing all of our faith in everything that he says. By investing that talent, that gift of faith, that measure, 100% 
into the words that Jesus says and believing they are spirit and they are life to me. And the result of my investing my faith into his words is that he fills me with his spirit. But there is nothing that I can do to earn that infilling. You know how I know that? Because I can't please him by what I do. I cannot... I cannot possibly please him by how I conduct myself separate from being obedient to him. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the cart before horse that I'm talking about. We want to get everything fixed up, but I can't fix me. We think that we got to come to God with all of our problems solved, and that's the issue. You can't solve them. You can't fix it. You can't get your mind right without God. So the grace of God has to call you in your sin when you are messed up. And the spirit of God has to deal with your nasty, messed up, backward flesh that tries to rear its ugly head some days. God is not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of what you've done. He's not afraid of where you've been. And if you are willing to obey him, he will speak to you. In that broken, hurt, messed up, lost, whatever condition you're in. Again, don't get in the weeds and start thinking that I'm saying it doesn't matter how we live because there is a result of the Spirit of God being in us. If we walk in the Spirit, we won't obey the lust of the flesh. There's clearly another side to this, but understanding where my personal conduct, my rightness with God, where it begins. It begins with Him. It doesn't begin with me. Is this clarifying anything to anybody? Thank you for lying. (laughs) This simple yet... Because how you answer, how you receive the Spirit, how you answer this question is going to set the course for the rest of your spiritual life. If you think that you receive the Spirit of God by a specific formula and a specific set of actions, then you are setting the course for how you will walk and interact with God for the rest of your life. You will have a list of things that you can do and things that you cannot do, and your God will be that list. But when you understand that his work in us is initiated by him, it's to his glory, hidden in earthen vessels, it's not pretty. I'm, I'm beginning to understand more and more what Paul said when he declared, there is nothing good in me except Christ. You pull Christ out of you. You can think, well, I kind of got it figured out. Just take Christ out of you for a day and see what happens in your life. You're no good. None of us are any good, but only as we allow his spirit to work in us, only as we are obedient to his, to his calling and his prompting in our lives and we are attentive to his call, only there do we find any goodness in us, amen? So Paul answers this question, you fools. Do you think that what began in you by the, wor- by the Spirit of God, by the hearing of faith, is now perfected in you by the works of your flesh? 
Do you think that if God called you in your sin when you were a total mess, completely lost, many of you cursing and mocking God, when God called you there, do you think now in your flesh that you're going to get righteous by the things that you do? You think God is afraid of where you are at? Do you think God is worried about the fact that you still struggle because the devil always is attacking us and we are trying to process that and trying to put those things? Do you think God is bothered by that? Or does God understand that you are a man and a woman and that you have lust that you're fighting and you've got, uh, listen, I'm not talking, again, get out of the weeds. I'm not talking about succumbing and, and messing up our lives. I'm talking about the battle that rages within us every day to do what God says versus to do what I say. Do you think God is afraid that you have a will? Do you think God is afraid that you're a human? Is God disgusted by your humanity? I think these are questions that are difficult because we have been taught certain ways and we think that God is, is you know, we, we've heard through the years, God cannot look on sin. Well, how could God look at me then? How did God find me? He must have a good long braille stick. How, how did he find me if he couldn't look at sin? Because when he found me, I was full of sin. Just like when he found you. God is not bothered by your humanity, is what I'm saying. And sometimes we feel like we're trying to get out of our humanity. I'm not exempting us from right living, but rather trying to ask or answer this question. Is right living the result of his spirit working in us, or is his spirit being in us the result of our right living? I believe it is the first that our right living is the result of His Spirit working in my life. Not that if I live right all week long, when I get in church, we're going to have Holy Ghost revival. No. Wrong. When I wake up every morning and understand that unless I place my life in obedience to Christ, I'm going to fall away. I'm going to go after my own thing because all of us like sheep have gone astray, every one of us to our own ways. And the only answer for that is that I come to the body of Christ every day that when I say the name of Jesus, I am recognizing that God which became flesh to deal with my sin issues. And the same way I approached him when I was lost and undone is the same way that I need to approach him today and tomorrow. And I will never get to the point where without him, I am anything but lost and undone. Only if I stay in him. He makes this exact same boast Paul does when he says, listen, don't you understand that you were grafted in? You are a wild branch and you were grafted in and you want to boast against the Jews and you want to think you're better than them, but don't you realize that if you fall away, you will be cut off the same as they are? There is no life in you except Christ. There is no value in you. This gospel that's going out, this humanistic gospel that tells you that you are all beautiful and you are all right. No, you are all ugly and you are all messed up. But Jesus is good. And his spirit is leading us and shaping us and guiding us and causing us to be conformed to his image and not to be conformed to the image of this world. He is transforming us. 
So I'm not exempting. Was, was Abraham righteous? Yes. But Abraham was not righteous and so God chose him. God spoke. Abraham listened. And it was accounted unto him as righteousness. I believe that this is the same principle that applies to us today. It is repeated multiple times in the New Testament. Multiple times Paul has this understanding. I think Paul understands this because he, of all people, would understand what the zealousness of the law can do. It turned him into a murderer. It turned him away from the very God that he was supposed to be doing the work in the name of. So here's the problem as I see it. We have so many people now considering the flesh, who are trying to escape the flesh. Because in our flesh, it's impossible to please God. So how do you please God? Escape the flesh. That's what everybody's trying to do. This is how I will get right with God. I will stop being human. What other choice is there? When you figure out how you cannot be human, you're going to have to let the rest of us know. But so many people are trying to get beyond their humanity. To get some sort of strength, some sort of ability, something in which God will be pleased by. Because it can't be the flesh. So how would God then be pleased? God would be pleased by things that are spiritual. Here's the problem. God is spiritual but you are not your flesh. There are a lot of people who are hoping that by restricting and belittling and beating up the natural man, they might become super spiritual. So all of these laws come into place. All of this form and function. All of this this movement that if I can, you know, I'm flesh, but I'm going to show that I'm trying to get beyond the flesh. Uh, Dad has talked about the, in Mexico that they will, they worship their Catholic God much more powerfully than the American Catholics do. And they will crawl on broken glass up the steps of the temples and beat themselves with whips. They're, they're, they're trying to prove that they are no longer fleshly. They're putting their flesh into submission, but really trying to get beyond the flesh. But I contend that God is not wanting us to be super spiritual. To do things by his spirit in us that will lift us out of our natural desires is what his spirit is trying to accomplish. God's not trying to make you, now listen, you can think about that this week. God's not trying to make you super spiritual. God is trying to make you supernatural. He's not trying to shape you by his spirit to get you out of being flesh. He's trying to shape you by his spirit so that you can be super, you can be victorious in your natural man. He doesn't want you to stop being flesh and blood. Say, well, Pastor Rodney, how do you know that? You don't have to turn there, but John 17 and 15 
Jesus is praying and he says, Father, I pray not that you take them out of this world, but I pray that you keep them in this world. The function and the work of God's spirit in our life is not to make you super spiritual above everybody else, fluttering in the, in the spiritual realm somewhere. But God's function is to keep you and to build you and to sustain you in this world. That's what God wants to do in you. God is far more concerned with how we live outside the walls of the church than how spiritual you are inside the walls of the church. After all of these years of being in Pentecost, being around it, growing up in it, and seeing everything that I've seen, it's just my personal experience, and so maybe others would disagree. But being around it in one form or another, I have realized that I do not need Holy Ghost revival. Now, I know that that will offend some, but let me explain. The benefit of my life, the benefit of the Spirit of God in my life, is not that His Spirit enables me to speak in tongues or do miracles or run, run around the church. All of those things are attributed to what we would call Holy Ghost revival. Those and many other I just watched a video today where they knocked the pulpit off the platform with the crazy holiness, Holy Ghost revival. That's not, the, that's not the benefit of the Spirit of God in my life. But the benefit of the Spirit of God in my life is that He enables me to walk worthy in front of my wife and my children and my brothers and sisters in Christ. His Spirit helps me to run the race with patience. And his spirit enables my tongue to give honest and true confession because he is working within my heart so that what's coming out of my heart and what's coming out of my mouth are the same thing. I'm far more concerned about true confession than I am about heavenly languages. Heavenly language bears no true confession in your life. But the truth of God's word in my heart Beginning to flow out of my tongue is what the Spirit of God wants to do in me. That's what I need Him for. You can call it whatever you want. You want to call it revival? That has this connotation of church. It has this connotation of altars. It has a connotation of a lot of fast music or maybe some really slow stuff that makes us cry. But I don't need God there. I need God every day. I need God to help me get to work tomorrow and to help to keep me while I'm at work and to lead me away from evil as I pray every day and to guide me into his truth as I'm asking him to. That's what I need his spirit to do. I don't need him to make me emotional. I, like many of you, get to be an emotional wreck. I don't need to be more emotional. I need his spirit to steady me. I need his spirit to calm, the, calm me in the middle of the storm when I can't calm the storm. To settle me down, not to rile me up. That's what I need his spirit to do in my life and that's what his function is. God's plan is to not get you out of your flesh but to keep you in your flesh. His plan is to work in our flesh by his spirit so that he may be glorified in us. Well, Pastor Rodney, that just seems like it's a, 
We're in a paradox. Because it's impossible to please God in the flesh and he's trying to keep us in the flesh? Yes. Because he's not, you're not going to please him by what you do. You're going to please him by your obedience. If any man wants to come after me, what's he going to do? He's going to deny himself. He's going to take up his cross and he's going to die every single day. That's how you please God. You please God by submitting your flesh, not by getting out of your flesh, not by quitting your job and laying in a box praying in the garage. That's not how you please God. You please God by by listening to his voice and being faithful where he's placed you. And when he says it's time to go, go. And he says it's time to stay, stay. This is how we please God. We don't please God by becoming super spiritual. The residing presence of the spirit of God in us does not have to do with us presenting our spirit. Again, Trying to be spiritual so that we can relate to God. But you're not spiritual. You're fleshly. Your spirit isn't going to do it. You need his spirit. And his spirit works in my flesh. So Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 does not say, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your spirit. If that was the case, then we could have a whole different message. We could be talking about how you need to get really spiritual. But I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies every day, every single day, a sacrifice. The arrangement of the words in the Greek says it a little bit different. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I want the Spirit so I can be more spiritual. That's what I want. I need the Spirit. If I could just get the Holy Ghost, I could be more spiritual and I could be more pleasing to God. What pleases God? I beseech you therefore, brethren, present your bodies. God's not afraid of your body. God's not worried about your body. God doesn't care what your body did last week. God's looking for you to present your body today. Every single day, the answer's the same. Paul preaching to all kinds of different groups here. I don't know, some are barely believers. They just started and some who've been uh, uh, quite a bit along the way, I'm sure. And he says the same message applies to both. Present your bodies. A sacrifice, living holy and acceptable to God. This is not perfected bodies. Not bodies that you have abandoned because you are so spiritual. Not celibate bodies. Not sinless bodies. This is the body that you wake up in every morning. This is the body that aches when you get older. 
This is the body that right now your stomach is growling because you are hungry. This is the body that has a propensity and a nature for sin. The body that has fallen short of the glory of God. The body that never tires of doing its own will. The one that certainly we can find nothing to present to God because there's nothing there that would be worthy of what God has done. But this is the amazing love that God has shown toward us. God came to show his love. He spilled his blood to wash my body, to make me new. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And his blood is there to deal with my sin, but his love is there because he wants to show me that he's not concerned that my body is perfect. He's concerned that I present it to him every day. The result of my presentation of my body Not the result of me getting Holy Ghost and being super spiritual, but the result of me presenting my body is that I am no longer being conformed to this world, but I am being transformed by the renewing of my mind that I may do what is that good and acceptable And perfect will of God in my body. I just really felt this so strongly this week. God has been so faithful to to me in helping me understand this. I cannot get good enough that I don't need to present my body every day. I do not get holy enough. And, and, and I know that you, this group of believers, I know you won't misunderstand what I'm saying because you are all set apart. And I, and I begin to think about that. Well, how can we live holy? It really just means separated unto God. And I'm not holy because what I'm doing. I'm holy because I'm listening to him. That's what makes me holy. That's what makes me righteous. Well, if I do all these things, no, 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 no. I just got to listen to him. I'll let him lead. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to do it. What are you to do with your body? Present it. Anybody ever feel unworthy when you come to present your body? Not because you're wicked, terrible people, but you understand that without Christ you are. Anybody ever wake up from a dream and you're like, how could I have dreamed that? I've woken up in a panic sometimes. Oh, oh, That was a dream. Oh, good. Woo. I was really going to mess up my life. You just feel condemned. Like, how could I even think those thoughts? Well, I'm not, I'm dreaming. That that literally though, that's, that's that place we feel. And then we say, well, Lord, I can't, I can't bring this body to you. Look at it. It's all a mess. And the Lord says, look, I'm going to get glory through your body because your body is a mess, but my spirit isn't. And I'm going to take what was such a mess and I'm going to transform it. I'm not worried about what it looks like. This week, we're going to start, hopefully, if we can get lumber out there, we're going to start framing a house. And to many, it would just be a pile of lumber sitting out on the ground. But to my dad, who's framed for all these years into Austin and to myself, we don't look and see a pile of lumber. 
Oh, that was just a wasted pile of lumber laying out there. We look and see what that will become. God looks at you and he's not worried about the imperfections. Bring them to him because with the imperfections, the presentation of your body, that is the only way that you can ever be whole. You can't hold back part. You can't hold back the parts that are ugly. You can't hold back the parts that you don't want to reveal. You've got to bring it all to Jesus and say, Lord, I am presenting myself. I love what my dad has said so many times and I have followed his, his lead in this. I just stand before the Lord every day and say, Lord, here I am. I present myself to you. I don't know what it looks like, but it's not probably pretty. But I'm presenting myself to you. You're the one who called me. You're the one who brought me out of darkness. You understand the thoughts and the intents of my heart. I don't even know. My heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. I can't figure it out. But you know, your spirit leads and your spirit guides and your spirit is shaping me. And so if you'll have me, I present myself before you to do with, with what you want in me today. That's all I need to do today, God. And in this, God looks at me and God looks at you and says, you're righteous. Because you did a lot of great things yesterday. Because you went to church today, so tomorrow when you wake up and pray, God will say, well, he's a righteous man. He went to church yesterday. No, because I present my body to his service. I'm finishing. I have been saying that we bring nothing to the table. Been saying that for weeks. And it is absolutely true. We don't have anything to contribute to salvation. But I've been thinking about that verse. But a body thou hast prepared for me. God intended to have relationship with man in our flesh. It's where he intended to meet us. If he had intended us to meet him somewhere else, he would have had to make us something else. But God intended to have a relationship with us in our flesh. Body is flawed. And God wants a perfect sacrifice. God wants a spotless lamb. No, Jesus was the spotless lamb. You can never be that. You don't make his sacrifice. You can't bring his sacrifice. You come in Christ and we plant ourselves in him and we give our bodies to his body. How do you avenge? How do you avenge all of the disobedience that you have, have gone through and every time that you have transgressed against the direction of God in your life? How can you possibly make it right? By obedience. And that verse is ringing out in my ears for the last two weeks. A body thou hast prepared for me. And lo, it is written in the volume of the book. I come to do your will, O God. So I'm, I'm pretty well not able to do that. You're right. But if the same spirit... See, the body that said, a body thou hast prepared, and lo, it's written, I come to do your will, O God. If that same spirit that dwelled in him 
dwells in your what? Your body. Then he will also quicken your body. Not your spirit, your body. God wants to work in your flesh. Let God do the work. Why don't you stop doing the work? Why don't you stop trying to take it into your hands and just say, Lord, I'm presenting myself to you. You do whatever you want to do in my flesh. I don't want you to be afraid of where you've been or what you've done or what thought may try to jump in your mind. You present your bodies every day to the Lord. And I believe, I feel the Spirit of the Lord speaking that he is going to begin to bring revelation of who he is into your heart in ways that you have never known it. When you stop trying to be super spiritual and allow God's spirit to work in you to make you super natural, that's what God wants to do. Pastor, why don't you come tonight?